If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Hello, everyone. Thank you for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast. Today, we have the privilege of talking with Heather Matt Twatso, and I may have not said it right. <laughs> um, she is from the UK and is the founder of Cloud Clouds End CIC. So thank you, Heather, for being here today. Thank you for talking to me. Um, very interesting. And, and it's good to be talking to somebody who's got the best job title in the world, which is you. <laughs> I just love it. Chief Enablement of Encouragement Officer, sorry. It's well, just fantastic. I've I've found that even before I started what I'm doing now, that encouragement is such a key component to for everyone, you know, and it's actually really simple <laughs> to do if you're keyed into what's, you know, what's going on around you. No, no, I agree. I agree. And I, that's why I love, I love it. I saw it and thought, what a brilliant, what a brilliant job title. <laughs> and, 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 a, and a delight to perform. Because we've got uh, over here um, in housing, for example, there are some really scary job titles that people have. Like, I don't know if you have the same uh, in the US, but some people's job titles in, in housing associations are tenancy enforcement officers. And oh wow! Like, you know that comes with jackboots and a uniform. I think it's just, and I say to people, please leave your job title at home, leave it in the office. Don't you, and don't put it on letters to people because, you know, you, you don't realise how powerful a job title can be and how scary. You know, um, and there's an assumption to it, like they're going to approach you negatively. Like it's not going to be a positive experience. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, but the opposite to that is a tenancy sustainment officer. Now that's okay. That's not quite so menacing, but tenancy enforcement officer is just one of my favorite pet hates actually as a, <laughs> as a job title name. <laughs> well, that's kind of interesting because we have like code enforcement in the U S and a lot of times situations get to the point where code enforcement has to step in and say something and in general that's not ever a, a positive um, experience <laughs> I don't think on either side actually but I do think I, I honestly think there is a sort of psychological link to how you behave uh, versus what job title you have because I think subconsciously people that have got more enforcement type roles and names are conscious of that fact and behave more that way even though they don't always need to and I don't think they're aware of that which is what in training these are the sort of things that I gently and hopefully um, diplomatically try and explain to people you know you even if you want to work with somebody you might come across just by the way you feel you have to be you the, the, you feel you have to behave rather than the way you want to behave and and, um, and that human the human aspect of it which is partially why I started to really look at at hoarding issues because obviously in general it starts with a focus on stuff right but 
that's like the that is a manifestation of all the other issues that are going on for that human being and i think that is what it gets forgotten is that there's a whole bunch of humans right here that are being impacted by this behavior and if you are in a role where you're dealing with this but you're not aware <laughs> of yeah. trauma and family relationships if you're not really keyed into that it makes it really challenging i think to do your job as a human being yet in so many roles you have to take a step back and not not let your personal whatever interfere so i think there's a, a balance there so how do you how do you find that balance in what you do you know how how do you like you said you talk gently with people to let them know that they need to consider their title <laughs> well i also point out to people that the presence of excessive amounts of stuff if you walk into that environment first of all without knowing that you're going to see it so you know let's go back to our tenancy enforcement officer who's sent out several letters that have been ignored so they've actually gone to the door and knocked on the door and the door finally gets opened and then they are presented with a very full home that actually has a physiological effect on them right and so that so i explain this to people because i get them to give me words about what they know about hoarded properties and why and what they're looking at and, I, and i'll say how do you feel and i want you to be honest and then they always come up with words like overwhelmed um uh anxious so they're overwhelmed and anxious these are the you know these are the uh, housing people so then i explain to them why that happens to them and then i sort of say so now you know you don't have to behave in a heightened anxious way you know sort of with heightened anxiety you can take a deep breath and talk to the person as though that stuff wasn't there because the stuff is loud and shouty and that's not the point that's not what you're there for you're there to talk to a person and if the stuff wasn't there you would talk to them so stuff shouldn't make a difference and it's that sort of i'm always trying to find analogies to make people interested in talking to people who have this issue that they have to deal with within their workplace because once i think once somebody understands or starts to understand that it's not a personal battle between you and them um that something is going on and that person needs your help and support not your um you know not your uh, orders and not even suggestions often it's just like you've got to do this by this time or you're out uh, and that never works with anybody. So one of the things that we say to people to try and make them understand it is we say, hands up here who's got a mortgage. So this is in the group of people we're training. So most people have a mortgage on their home still. That means their home is owned by the bank. Mm -hmm. And so we say, how often does the bank visit you dressed in a full Tyvek suit and breathing equipment? <laughs> and and walk around your house and go we don't like this settee and you've got far too many ornaments and really we're not going to lend you any money anymore because we just don't like the way you've decorated your house and it's sort of what, what we're trying to do is 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 mirror to somebody how they look 
to the person that they've gone to talk to. And so people go, oh yeah, right, yeah, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't react well to that. Uh, you know, I, I won't react well to people telling me off. And so that's how we sort of try and slip it in. <laughs> oh, right, and you're humanizing that and making it more of a, a natural response, you know? Yeah. And it's something I talk about too, where like if someone walked into your house and said, hey, I don't like X, Y, Z, are you going to be offended? Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially if they then say, and if you haven't got rid of it by next week, you've right. got to leave. You know, that's <laughs> even harder. Sorry, that's my dog. She's usually okay. very quiet. <laughs> Probably has an opinion too, right? <laughs> yeah, she's not. Can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> well, and I think that's the piece that's so important about the awareness part is helping people understand that you know we're not all that different in a lot of ways and just because you don't like the way someone's doing something it doesn't mean you have to come in and stomp around like an angry monster you know yeah. and you made a really good point about it not being a personal battle it's more like understanding this is a there's underlying mental health issues usually, usually there's other things going on and the way you approach it is going to impact whether or not you get any kind of discussion or cooperation. Uh, and something else you mentioned is around the, you have one week to get rid of this or whatever, or clear this out. And that is in general, a very unrealistic timeline if say that person has never had an inspection or it's taken some time usually it it can take a little bit of time to build up a hoard um depending on what's going on with that person it can happen quickly but on the other hand it might have taken two years to get to the point mm. and or possibly say, even longer possibly right. even longer and so you yeah and these i think these are the things that that um I sort of make it my goal to make people, I think if people understand, they can support so much better. Whereas if they don't understand, they'll see it as a personal standoff. And, uh, and, and I think that sometimes happens within families too. It becomes a standoff, which I, you know, I, I completely empathize and understand frustrations within families, but that will still never work. It doesn't matter who's doing that standoff. They just don't work. They're not nice and they just cause more agitation, more anxiety, and often more anxiety means more gathering, more keeping. Certainly not a lot of letting go. So Right. It yeah. increases it. And I think something I've encountered is people who they like you are a professional and you stumble into this hoarding situation and a lot of times the first thought is, where's the family? Why is the family not helping? And there's a lot of unawareness, I think, about just what you're saying, where there's so much tension and relationship issues that calling the family into that situation can sometimes make it worse than, yeah. than better. And a lot of times the adult kids may have already tried everything they know how, and they kind of just wash their hands of the situation and then get called again when there's a crisis or the person's about to be evicted or there's a medical issue and 
it's really difficult emotionally to step into that, especially if you haven't dealt with any of your own issues around that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I think it's very unfair, even though it's what everybody logically thinks, you know, um, but, but if it is hard, it's very hard for families. And I think the only way families succeed is if they sort of depersonalize it and sort of say, right, I'm going to learn about this so that I've got an insight. Um, because, you know, you aren't naturally going to understand. Uh, I think, I think, I, I certainly know that families that want to learn um, tend to have a better, they tend to have a better outcome than um, families that know what they've got to do in inverted commas. Um, but yes, as I say, I do, I do sympathise and empathise with families as well. Um, but what I don't empathise and sympathise with is people treating people in a bullying manner for whatever reason, because I just don't think that's right. And so I think you said, you said we're all humans. And I saw this poster, my daughter's made me a, a collage of it now. And it just said, humankind be both. And I love <laughs> it. Just simple, isn't it? And it right. It, yeah. And it's so, it's so simple when you're not emotionally attached but if you're emotionally charged and involved and it, it's really difficult i think to to remember to be human and to be kind and that it, you are both and it would be better in that any situation essentially if you were both <laughs> yes and i like kind versus nice because I think kind means you still speak the truth. You just find a way to do it in a gentle way. Absolutely. Yeah, way. I, think, I think that's absolutely right. And also nice is a bit more subjective, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so what I might think is nice, you might not. So, but I think kind um, just, well, hopefully it softens the edges of things. That's how I see kind. Yes. And, and still being aware, but not being, like you say, not being a bully about it, not being, and I think, and maybe you can address this a little bit too, um, uh, the people that I have worked with that have a hoarding issue, they really just want to be heard. Like they want to tell their story. And in that process, they start to detach. Yeah, no, it is. I think everybody wants to be heard, seen and understood. Um, and if you understand that, then it, 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 it helps. It absolutely helps. What, what, whoever you speak to in general, if you start off going, let me stop you there, you know, before <laughs> you finish your sentence, whatever you're saying, regardless of whether it's about hoarding or not, that's an impasse already, isn't it? It's not an open forum for conversation, being understood, being heard, being seen. And, um, yeah, so I think that these are these are things that, although they they work for people with hoarding issues, they work everywhere. You know, they work in all circumstances. Um, it's just that sometimes you need a little bit more creativity, I suppose, and perhaps a little bit more tolerance sometimes when you're working in hoarded um, homes, and especially with people who haven't quite caught up with themselves yet. It can be frightening for families certainly 
and it can be frustrating for you know when you said when you get issues such as you know health problems or repairs problems or safety issues within the home then um it can be difficult if somebody really isn't hearing or seeing what you know um but i think you know time is a great is a great uh kind healer as well and i think if you let somebody take their time and let them know that you're there um then hopefully unless it's a really dire situation then people come back people come back to me i, I sometimes say to people I, I i don't feel that you're ready for change yet um but when you are i'll still be here so come back and and that that sometimes works for people i don't i don't say it very often um because most people that eventually i get to talk to have decided that they do want some sort of help but um but yeah i i, I never shut a door i think leave it open but don't push well and that's a really good a good point because a lot of times you you are having building trust with that person mm -hmm. and it's not going to happen right away. Like, I mean, I had a situation where for about a year I had talked to this lady inadvertently. I had been at a dinner with her and her sister and it took about a year for her to call me. But finally she was like, um, so yeah, my sister's been bugging me <laughs> to call you. And so she finally did. And we were able to work through some of that, but, I think the hard part for me, and I know I see in part why it happens, is that we'll see a situation and we don't say anything because we don't want to rock the boat, we're, we don't want to make them angry, and, and then it just keeps snowballing because people don't know what to say to that person. And if you do, often they get very angry that you are even addressing it and my thing is start with safety it, it it step away from how it makes me feel at that moment and talk about their safety you know these are these are the reasons why i'm concerned about you um so how do you think that that's a way to approach it that's a little less emotional absolutely i, I very often i'll say look let's i tell you what let's just tuck some stuff up let's tuck it up a little bit tighter a little bit neater um so that you won't trip over it when you walk up the hall for example and um that first of all reduces people's fears that i've turned up because i'm going to throw stuff away and get rid of things and um but it also gives time for chat and talk so when you're doing that you're just chatting and talking through the stuff but Nothing's going, nothing, it right. is literally, we're just making it safer, tighter, better stacked, things like that. And that opens conversation. And then sometimes somebody will go, oh, oh no, I've, I'd already got that bag ready for the charity shop or the thrift shop, that would be a charity shop we call them. And, um, and so that starts it then because anxiety levels have dropped. It's like, oh, she's not too bad. She's only gonna do a little bit of tidying up and. She's just going to make it. That's okay. I don't mind if she does that. And and that's often a way that I will um, start off with because I haven't got. A, a, well, I try very hard not to have an agenda um, because I know that anybody that I work with knows really what's got to happen. 
So my job, I think, is to help them to understand that about themselves. Um, and sometimes that takes time. Sometimes people are well ahead of the game. They've already started. They've already acknowledged things. They've stopped buying things. They've, you know, they're, they're, it just depends. It, it just depends. But just sometimes I get people referred. So with the project that I'm doing now, um, it's people will refer people to me. So that's local authority people will refer. And some of those people are not going to be happy to be referred. Right. Um, because they were fine, you know, and then somebody's come along and meddled and poked their finger in and, um, and so those are the ones that I have to be as diplomatic as I can uh, when I talk to them to try and find the right words that don't sound totally judgmental and, Pre, and, and that is very difficult in COVID because I can't visit myself and, uh, and I don't like taking other people's word for it because very often I've gone to a home that somebody said, you've got to go in this. It's absolutely terrible. And I get there and it's fine. It's well, just somebody else's level of, of uh, you know, I might just be talking to somebody who's a minimalist. And they feel that that home is hoarded and it's terrible and it's not. It's well, not. and the term hoarder is, has a lot of negative connotations. And, um, and I get that that's why people sometimes don't want to seek help. They don't want to be labeled. They don't want the stigma. Yet, you know, I think hoarding is a fine word because mm -hmm. that's the behavior. That's the activity. Yeah, but it's not the name. It's not their name. It's not their, you know, and, and who wants to be labeled and judged like that? I mean, I totally get why people avoid it, but I also see that that's why people avoid seeking help because of that fear of judgment or the trigger terms. Let's throw it all away. Mm. I, I have someone that I know that that's like their response. Whenever they see these situations, that's the first thing that comes out. And I'm like, if you want to help, that is not helping. <laughs> no. Well, the only person that might be helping is them because right. they have a desire to do that. And so if they do it, they, they make themselves feel better, but without any regard to anybody else. Now, I know I, once, when I first started, I had um, a lady who said, oh, I've just found your social enterprise and I'd really like to work with you. Um, she said, I'm, I'm very interested in this field and, you know, it all sounded good and then she said because I've just done a course in interior design oh wow oh, that's very nice <laughs> but I'm not sure that we're ready for that <laughs> and I just had visions of this lady sort of bobbing along planning to do swatches and not being able to get in through the front door and going oh maybe maybe they're not ready yet <laughs> Like that might be what step number fifteen in the process. Something like that, yeah, in a couple <laughs> of years' time. But um, no, it did tickle me. It, uh, you know, it's because it's everybody's interpretation of what you do. But in I run in normal times, in non non pandemic times, I run four support groups, and um, and they are amazing, and I absolutely love them. I've put I've put them online now, but they're much smaller because a lot of the people who come don't want to use Zoom or don't know how to or can't. Um, 
but within the support groups this is interesting so these are the discussions that go within you know behind closed doors if you like people say in the support group they don't mind being called hoarders mm. because safety in numbers and there are hoarders there are a group of them. and it's a peer group yes and so it's it's a, an identifier in that way and they quite like not liking the title because we use it as a that's why you're here because you don't want to be right. called a hoarder so you're here to not be one if if you see what i mean so but it's interesting that they've all the all the separate groups have said this at some point um, it's not a big topic of conversation, but they've all said, no, we don't mind being using that term when we're all together. Um, but we dislike other people deciding that we are that. Uh, but we can call each other that. That's fine. So. And it's interesting to me, especially now with all the toilet paper issues and the pandemic where people Absolutely. are like, oh, oh, I'm a hoarder. I'm like, um, I'm not sure if you know exactly what you're saying. And a lot of times people who say that are not. Like most people don't walk around saying the negative thing about themselves. You know, you might be thinking it, but in general, you're not announcing <laughs> into the world that that's what you are. And I think there's, well, I've had this discussion between like what is, in the U.S., they call them preppers. Like you're prepared for any contingency, any emergency, versus someone that has a hoarding issue. And the main distinction is that it seems that as a prepper, you are constantly rotating your supplies so that it's not right. expired. It's not buried. So it's almost like a collection, then, isn't it? It's a curated collection. Right. Versus avalanche and fire risks, you know, in a hoarding situation. Yes. Well, I don't think, I don't think, I, I learned about preppers through uh, uh, an American firefighter that I used to talk to quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Just his name, you might know him, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan something. Anyway, he said, oh, have you got any preppers? And I said, oh, I don't know what they are. And he explained to them. And he said, the preppers sometimes are worse, though, because within their stash in the basement is our guns and petrol yes and he said and so ammo. they're actually mm -hmm. sitting on bombs because if there was a fire in that home um so if there's a fire in a hoarded home it's it's obviously a bigger fire risk but the majority of people who hoard are not hoarding petrol and ammunition whereas the preppers are, because it goes with their sort of like gathering. So I thought that was quite interesting as well. I don't, I don't, we must have some preppers in the UK, but because we don't have the houses, the, the majority of houses now, it's only the really large Victorian houses that have basements, that mm. have cellars, we call them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so there isn't that ability. So a prepper would become, um, it, it would be classified as a hoarded home because for whatever reason they're doing it. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a distinction. But going back to what you were saying about toilet paper and hand gel, I still, I've, I've started to use the understanding the um, unexplainable desire to over acquire uh, <laughs> has become an international fact. 
I still don't, toilet paper is, I just don't get it. I don't understand why the world goes bonkers for toilet paper. But I did say to the last group we had, I said, well, you guys are okay, aren't you? Because you've already got it. (laughs) (laughs) And they went, yeah, that's a thought. We could maybe sell it. And I went, yeah, you might, you might start to start dealing in toilet paper over the lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and I, you know, I, it was very surreal to go to the store and see the sign that says, we're only allowing you to buy one package, you know? know? And I was like, I've never in my life had to go, do I have enough? Should I pay 10 bucks for this? Because, you know, um, it was very odd to consider whether or not I had a staple, like, like, is there enough? Will there be enough, you know, tomorrow? (laughs) You have Um, to do the toilet paper maths, don't you? (laughs) How much do I use a week? How much do I use a month? But, you know, I, I didn't realize I had a toilet paper issue until I remembered that my dad had a job where he would bring the remnants home, like from the, the restroom. And because there was still a significant amount on there, but you had to switch them out oh, as I part see. of his yeah. campground and things he cleaned. And I was like, so what's my toilet paper thing? And it's because I hate running out mm-hmm. and I hate nubbins. Like I want to see a full thing on the you know and I'm like okay so apparently I had a toilet paper thing I needed to deal with (laughs) you know but you're right you know that in many cases they're prepared for things that come up um because they have these things and uh, in fact a lot of people tend to be pretty generous if they have something they can give um yeah yes I agree and, and so I another, think, yeah, another peculiarity that um, that I read about because I'd set up a little Facebook page. I'm not very good at social media, but I try. Um, <laughs> and so in lockdown, I set up a Facebook page called Stay In and Sort Out uh, oh. because everybody was trapped in the house. And that at the beginning, you know, people weren't going out at all. So they were sat at home with their stuff instead of normally they would have been out all day. And um, one lady wrote to me and she said, I can let this all go now because I've been vindicated. And I said, oh, you know, how did that happen? She said, look, she said, all my life I've been holding on to things because I said, what if you can't get these in the shops anymore? What if the shops shut? What if, and she said, that's always been my, my inability to let this stuff go was my fear of the shops might shut or they might not have them anymore or all this and she said of course I got I got people telling me off and don't be so ridiculous and um the shops only shut for one day a year which is Christmas day and even then not all of them shut and she said all of a sudden everything that I'd been frightened of happened and she said that allowed me to let it go because Mm. I was right (laughs) and that was it (laughs) that was it so she, going back to what we said, you know, she suddenly was listened to, heard, understood, and she was correct. So what she predicted, if you like, within her fears had happened and that released her and she let everything go. She said, it can all go now. I don't, I don't want it anymore. Mm. So I had lots of very interesting um, situations, things that I would not have predicted had anybody asked me to predict them. 
Um, so a lot of people, they had this sort of, they were more anxious around the threat of COVID than they were about letting go of their belongings. So suddenly they had a comparison that was more scary to them than letting go of their stuff. And so letting go of their stuff became possible because, so COVID for some people have, has done some really good, really good things. One lady who, she's not in my project because my project's in, in Birmingham city centre, but um, she was in the south of England and she phoned me right at the beginning of lockdown and she said, um, she said, oh, I wonder if you can help me. Uh, she said, I, I, I've, I've, I've spent the past five years or probably more just filling my house up with brand new stuff that I never touch. And she said, um, my house became unusable uh, because, you know, the, the, the normal story that the electricity didn't work well, the water got, there's no hot water anymore because I can't get in to fix the boiler. And then she got rats. And she said, so I'm living in one room. I've just got my two little dogs and me. But she said, this was what happened to me. She said, my, my adult son died. And she said, I didn't want to live anymore. Um, but she said, I had a job and I had my dogs. And she said, so I went to work every day and I walked my dogs and I bought things and bought things and bought things. And she said, that's how I survived. But she said, now I've still got my job, but I'm in furlough. So I'm at home. And, and I can't go out all day apart from to walk my dogs. And she said, I'm suddenly realise I do want to live. I do care. And I want it all gone. And so I said, oh, well, that's amazing. I said, that's very rare. Um, and I said, are you sure that you want it all gone? And she said, yeah, I want it gone now. And I said, well, I'm not, I don't know whether people are still working. Um, so I did a bit of research and found out that the clearance companies continued to work because they always use PPE. So mm -hmm. they started it, if you like, they'd always use masks and right. gloves. And so I found one in her area. I looked because I'm always very wary of, you know, recommending somebody who hasn't got a clue because they still will tromp around on people's feelings. And, but this man, I phoned him up and I said, can I just have a talk to you? Because I, you know, I see you work in this area. And he said, um, I hear what you're saying, but he said, uh, just to put your mind at rest, I came from a hoarded home. That's why I do this work. So I said, brilliant. And this lady cleared. Wow. Before the end of March. She so she just, was ready. She was totally ready, but she didn't know that without COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID frightened her into realizing she wanted to live. So yeah, I've just got, you know, there's some really good stories for me that have come out of it. Really good stories. So I tend to be somebody that looks for the positives. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised, happily surprised. Well, and finding that, that positive is so good. And I had, I had a guest on my podcast who has gone through, you know, the sorting of the things and, and realizing, like you're saying, like, hey, I want to live, I want to be here, um, you know, this is how I want to proceed, you know, and uh, it's just amazing to me how, it's sad that how judgmental I think we are as a society, 
um, about mental health things, about things that we don't understand. And I, I know finding ways to positively talk about it, finding those recovery stories um, makes a big difference because it, like you had mentioned earlier, if someone is now forced to clean out, you're looking at compliance versus I'm ready because I've gone through the work or whatever it is to make this change. And that to me, I've seen people facing eviction because they won't deal with the hoarding. They won't let anyone help. And it, no matter what they decide, you kind of let them, right? They have the autonomy to decide, but they don't understand that either way, like this apartment will be cleaned with you or without you. Yeah, and that's really sad. It is, it is. It's very sad because there's never a winner in that situation because even you will have the outcome that the housing provider wants. um, And then what? You know, what else do you have then? You you have an even more damaged person, somebody that hasn't learned anything. Well, both sides haven't learned anything. The, The housing providers learn nothing. The person who has the hoarding issues just learnt to distrust the housing provider. And it, yeah, it's, it is a real show. For, for me, that is my goal, I think, in life, is making people understand, helping people to understand how to help people that have this issue, how to get on, on their side. We call it supportive intervention, where everybody feels supported. So I, I want the housing officers to feel supported so that they will then support on the person that they need to support. And it's, you know, sometimes it works, but, and then that's what I do. Then I put together the stories of um, when this works, this is what these people's voices sound like. So at the end of this big project, at the end of next year, I'll have a lot of voices from all, all, you know, everywhere, you know, from, social work from housing from mental health from fire and from um the person who has hoarding issues themselves and there'll be lots of little stories of what they learnt and messages they want to give to the next person because i think that's how people learn isn't it it's how people learn the best and the and that's something i have found and how i have kind of shifted to what i'm focusing on is around all these peripheral people that see this issue, the social worker, the organizer, the police, the firefighters, the um, code enforcement, the tenancy rights, the um, landlords. I mean, I've had discussions with almost every single one of those people. And even if, or someone in those roles, and even if they report it or refer it, there's not support either for them as they or for the person with the problem or for the family members there's this like huge disconnect between the problem and the solution and i think like you're talking about the awareness and bringing the stories and helping them have a different perspective is what we need to have better solutions so yeah. that no one is re-traumatized or we're and, minimizing and, and, and it. Everyone wins, if you like. Right. Everyone feels as though they've done a good thing or they've taken part in a good thing or they've 
helped somebody along the way or um and and as i said even the even the the, the person with hoarding issues themselves knows that their journey is going to help somebody else's journey you right. know and, and so i think yeah when when that when that pulls together it's really good but it's it's explaining this to a lot of people <laughs> and that's a big job <laughs> and some days it's over i you know the the overwhelming piece you know people who are just getting ready to sell a house are also often overwhelmed because they can clear out their whole house and have that one room where all the emotional things are you know the the divorce paperwork or the death certificate or the military papers um and there's like a lot of emotion in that room and they can not they can struggle with that piece and so i think it helps break it down a little if we all look at how we react when we have to make changes mm -hmm. and it, there's just a lot to that and knowing that and bringing that into your work i think is what is really valuable but i'm not sure like if the, the numbers in the uk but there's an estimate like 19 million people in the us have a hoarding issue and well we you, use we use the same um you know is it three to five percent of the population right. so, so our population is 60 million so it's three to five percent of that mm -hmm. so there's a lot there's a lot it's proportionate to your your figures because we use your figures um, well and absolutely and, and i even think those are uh a conservative estimate yes because a lot of people aren't reporting it or you don't absolutely uh, you know, and the, the whole reporting thing, well, I had, I experienced it where authorities were involved with my parents and you would see these letters that they would send that said, we've received a report that you're self-neglecting. Mm. Um, and that person's going to be motivated to call you because why? <laughs> How effective is said, that? If it said, maybe if it said you're self-neglecting, we've decided to give you a lottery win uh, <laughs> and a free anorak or a free coat, then maybe they would. But yeah, it is, it's a thing. You've got to say what is in it for the per what is in it for right. anybody? Um, and that's, the, once again, that's back to a sort of a common uh, way of dealing with anybody. You know, if you want somebody to do something with you, there's got to be something in it for them and uh, and so yes definitely <laughs> this is and this is often what i say when you say what what did your letter say how did it look what paper was it on did you hand sign it did you have your horrible title on it you know all things like that <laughs> and it's not it's not like it's not like a birthday party invitation is it really right so, and i think that's also changing that conversation you know it is really valuable and I know we kind of, I'm kind of backtracking to the firefighting part of it, but um, there's people who um, just don't recognize, you know, what the real problem is. And granted, there are lots of terms in hoarding, clutter blindness, like they don't see the clutter mm. the same way, but I'm at the point where I see it as a public health crisis, a public health issue, because not only are you impacting yourself, 
if you hoard, you're impacting your family, you're impacting your neighbors. And um, it, if you are in a situation where there's a fire, you know, often the firefighters can't get in. And they even call it heavy content homes. Yeah, and the, yeah the I hear they say heavy load. Yeah, it's the same. Yes. And, and, so, and it, it, it is very, it's very, that's when it becomes very worrying. Because I know that I work very closely with the fire service and, and a lot of the firefighters are just brilliant. You know, they're really good right. at dealing with people. But they've got their, their big worries, if you like. So people in high rise blocks. Right. They're the ones that really worry them because um, it's not even two neighbours, it's several neighbours. And if you're in the middle of that block, you know, when, I don't know if you saw, you probably wouldn't have seen it in America, but there was a large fire in um, a high-rise block in London two years ago. And, um, and the whole block burnt down. And it was a complete tragedy. Loads of people were told to stay in there homes you know to keep the doors shut to stop the fire oh, and it and there was cladding on the outside of the building that that is what was in contention the cladding wasn't fireproof and so it was a horrible sort of a massacre in a way and all i could think this is very selfish of me but all i could think was please please don't let that be a hoarded home where that fire started um it wasn't luckily but it, it changed huge amount. People have become really, really uh, jumpy about uh, people who hoard, who live in um, big high rises for the, and this is the reason that they give. Right. You know, and you can understand it, but. I think that that for me is where it's so valuable to be having the conversations like we are in the work that you're doing is to bring that awareness to it so that we could intervene earlier. Like I had someone who had been like for two years, they had failed their inspections, but, and the, the same thing was being issued, clean it up by this state. Nope. Next year rolls around, nothing changed. So how many times do you let someone fail an inspection before you say clearly, the mandate we've been issuing isn't working. So at what point do we say, okay, if we come across this situation in this housing, this is what we're going to do and address it early, or rather than now we're evicting you and you have two days, two weeks to fix it. It, no, it exactly. just makes no I think, sense. I think from, because this is also what, I, you know, I, I talk to people and say what, people that have had eviction, even people that have been evicted. One, I must say one lady that's in my group, she was evicted, but then rehoused. And that eviction was the best thing that ever happened to her because she got rehoused and it sort of reset her, restarted her. Um, and she's, she's sort of stayed on top of it pretty well, I have to say. But I, lots of people have said, we didn't understand right. how long we had what you know what the knock-on effect of this would be they were also you know convinced that they were going to manage to do things before a certain time and then it didn't happen and so one of the things that i've said to housing in particular you need to put a proper timeline into a letter that you send um which clearly states actions what that action means because they'll say things like 
we'll seek an injunction. Well, if you don't know what that injunction's for, the injunction usually is for forced access, but it doesn't say that. And it mm. needs to say it in layman's terms as well, not legal terms. It needs to say we will go to the courts to get, um, to get the judge to allow us to forcibly access your home if you don't let us in. And we would much rather not do that and much rather not waste the money to take it to court as well. But that's another thing. But yeah, a timeline is so important because and, people don't see it. And the timeline, and I think I always encourage the checkpoints. Like, don't say I'm coming back in 60 days. You might need to come back in 10 days, you yeah. know. Yeah. You might need to come at 20 days. You, uh, And I think even lately I've been hearing how our court system doesn't really know, and I know this already, but... I've been reminded that there is not like a, a process. Like if you, you just, the judge will say, we're cleaning your house and it's happening this day. And now there's a court order, but there's no anything in between, like you're saying, having a, a plan and a checkpoint and a date. And so I think resolution requires addressing it differently. And we, that's why I think the work that, people are collectively trying to do on this is so important so that we can start to address it earlier and not only say you must comply but also what about your mental health what about the under other things that are causing this to happen how are we uh, granted no one really wants to be forced to do something no but that's what i said but what are the positives in, in what feels like a very negative thing? So the positives are that you have now come to our attention, that we want to support you and help you, that we want to get you to a point where we feel that you're safe, you know that you're safe, and you also know that we are not going to hassle you anymore. That's often, I often say to people, the one thing I can help you with is to stop you getting hassled by your housing provider. So if we work together, I can liaise between the two and you'll be fine. But we've got to do something because on this hand, we've already got an injunction. So right. the court has already said that I can't change that, but we've got this hand and I can change the other hand and that's you and me working together and finding a solution. And um, that's all there is because without, without the other hand, the hand that's free, then um, the hand that's got the injunction is still going to happen. And there's nothing that I can do to stop that because right. it's in law now, you know? Yeah. But it, I mean, the perfect, really, the perfect idea would be that we start earlier, like you said. Things get noticed much, much sooner. People themselves are encouraged to notice. Um, it becomes less of a stigma. People can report it because they know there's somewhere to go. Um, and, and I just think broader understanding because I don't know about in the US, but here, um, general practitioners, so local doctors, they often have no idea what it is. So they'll say, oh, it's a bit of eccentric behavior. And so even people that might ask for help the doctor bats it off because they they don't really know what it is so they'll go oh, it's just a little bit of just a little bit of collecting isn't it you know things like that and that doesn't help when you've plucked up the courage to ask your doctor and you it know, doesn't so. help when you are the kid 
trying to help your elderly parents and you try to explain it and they look at you like you've lost your mind and so i i have the charts you know where you can show the continuum of what hoarding looks like but even then someone might say well their house doesn't look that bad and so i suggest and i know people don't like it but if you are in a position where you are trying to save that person's whatever to take photographs like look i'm telling you this is what the bathroom looks like here it is and i realize the person that hoards doesn't like that but at times that if you are trying to accomplish something for them you have to take that extra step and the other part of that is times where people want to have you as the adult kid be responsible and try to blame you for some sort of abuse and it's like well they were adults they're considered competent how how am i responsible for that and here's here's why it's a problem <laughs> it's it, this is well, this is back to what we were saying earlier isn't it it is so difficult right it's so difficult and and it all comes from it all comes from misunderstanding from yes. ignorance ignorance breeds fear and fear allows people to make all sorts of judgments because that stops them having to think about it then right don't you think you know it's like oh well that's obviously just somebody being lazy right you know they've voluntarily decided that they want to live like one of my absolute hates here is when social work for example will go oh no we've closed the case because it's a lifestyle choice yes that makes (laughs) me mad that makes me mad it's like so how many people do you know that chose to live in a house with no electricity, no water, no heating in the winter, um, infestations. I, I think, I don't know anybody that chooses that. They might tell you that, but if you took them back to when they were six years old and they were a child, was that their dream home? I don't think so. Right. That's a choice. That's a choice. And that I, whole, it's a, a lifestyle choice. We, you know, it, it's, if rats are eating with you at your table, I think there's a problem. You exactly. know? It's not, that's not a lifestyle choice no. at all. It's somebody <laughs> that has got so buried, literally, mm-hmm. in um, things that have happened to them that they haven't understood. And, and then they've got physically buried at the same time. And, right. and yeah, no, lifestyle choice makes me very angry because I don't want people to... I don't know about in the, in the, in the States, but certainly here, um, people who hoard a, a hot potatoes, they just get handed around. You know, it's right. like, you, you have it, you have, we can't do it. You, we can't deal with this. You, right. you deal with this. And, and, and of course, while they're being passed around, things are getting worse. Right. Mm. Yeah. But despite all those things, I think it's the best job in the world. I absolutely love what I do and feel massively privileged to meet the people I meet and, uh, and be allowed into their lives and their stories. Um, so yeah, I, uh, and I, I often, when I've got a social work student at the moment, so she's a placement student, so she's sort of training and learning. Um, and I said, you be careful because I said, this is a world that, that will, will haul you in and it's fascinating and, Everywhere you look, there's something to learn or something to research, like you said. <laughs> and I said, you know, you might get hooked. And she said, oh, I think I already am. So, 
And that level of commitment and compassion, I think, is what is needed. To yeah, I, without it, you can't. This isn't a job that you can do as nine to five job. You have to love what you do. You have to believe in what you do. Um, and uh, and I think you've got to be in for the long term as well. I don't think you can just pop in and uh, and do this for a couple of years and then and then do something else. Well, I couldn't. Once I'd opened that door the first time, I went into somebody else's hoarded home that wasn't my aunt's. Mm. that was it then it was like wow why is this why why isn't and then I thought oh well there must be some solutions and I started asking around um councils and nothing nobody did anything except force clearances right and I said do these ever work and they said no and it's like well why do you do them then and they <laughs> said repeatedly oh, yeah <laughs> And they said, they said, oh, we haven't got time. We haven't got time to think about anything else. So that was the beginning, you know? That was how it started. And it was like, I can't believe this. This is like the 21st century. This should be, you know, there should be things in place. I, I really couldn't believe it. And so that's why I set up Cloud's End. And it was the first, the first social enterprise in the UK. And that wasn't long ago. That was like, uh, it was registered in 2009. So basically... 10 years, 11 years. Yeah, Yeah, it was nothing. And I just could not believe it because, you know, I'd started to find out and realise exactly how diffuse it was and how many people were struggling with this. And it was just like, this is, I, I just thought I'd walked into a dream, if you know what I mean. I can't believe nobody's doing anything and they weren't. So, and I And I have found that, now there are fragments there are people that are working on it but it's it's so huge like some people in marketing they would call it a blue ocean because there's just dots out there that don't have a port and i just kind of feel like part of my mission is to bring that together so that we know in the uk we call heather or in the in birmingham this is the area i have a a gal in Houston, Texas. Uh, if I have an issue, that's who I'm going to call over there. Like, yeah. and it's so important to have those vetted people, like you said, that you know. Because you don't have to relate. explain. You right. don't have to explain anything. And then when you've explained, you don't have to wait to see right. if that person reacts well or not, right. if you know what I mean. When you've got people that you know, that you've spoken to, that you trust, you can just say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to Vanessa in right. wherever and she'll be amazing and you'll love it and she'll mm-hmm. have, you'll have a great time. And that is important. But yes, it's, as I said, it, it's get, we're getting there. The, the golden threads that sort of run round yes. are, are getting longer and better. Um, but yeah, and I, this, doing this, Tammy, is really important, I think. Reaching out across countries um it was so wonderful when we went to san francisco because you know you everybody it's exactly the same the the issues are the same the frustrations are the same the misunderstandings are the same um but it's in two separate nations and and as i said i know it's exactly the same in in australia and yeah so i think i think us joining up and teaming up across across oceans as well is really important I think so. And, and I think it helps reach more people. 
you know yeah. it just changes that conversation a little faster i think i think it's like because we have there is that common bond there is a common theme that runs through everybody everybody has this issue um and it's learning from each other and coming up with different ideas and um i remember talking years ago to somebody that was at um the san francisco group and he left i never got to meet him but i said oh i'd, I'd done some television here in the uk and for the bbc which i thought oh, they'll be really good they were mm -hmm. okay um and they decided to use a warehouse and i i didn't like this idea at first i thought this is too much too soon you know it's but then I found out that the lady who was the lady with hoarding issues in the documentary had asked for the warehouse. So I said, okay. And she said, I need to see all my stuff in one room. So we've got this massive warehouse and, oh, wow. um, and, and it was, a, it was, a, it, they didn't take the furniture. They just took the stuff. So, so we had like magazines and books and shoes and clothes and toys. And she had a lot of, uh, a certain type of pottery that's made here in the UK. She had loads of it, actually. She's got even more in the cellar that we didn't even get out. But so she could see it all. And um, so I said, uh, she and she did get rid of quite a lot of it. Um, but after the programme, lots of my clients would say, oh, can you get us a warehouse? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. It was the BBC that paid for the warehouse. You know, it wasn't me. And um they said oh we'd love it and i said it wasn't a storage warehouse it was a workspace and they said yes that's why we liked it because you can work in there there's room and you can see everything and um so i i was in a multi-agency group in london at the time that i'd started um after doing a training session for somewhere in london and they the, a big housing association had, had agreed to sort of put together a multi uh, task force and so, which we very grandiosely called the Pan London Hoarding Task Force, which isn't running anymore. Anyway, so I said, I, I know this is a pointless thing to say in this group here uh, because warehouses in London are ridiculously expensive. And, um, and then a lady from one of the councils, she said, we've got a council warehouse. And she said, it's got cages that lock up. And she said, it's where we put furniture when somebody dies and we can't find their relatives so we put the furniture in there for a period of time mm. and she said we've got three empty cages and so suddenly we had the ability to use a warehouse which reduced so we took the stuff out of the house put it in the cage so it could be locked and kept safe use that as a workspace mm. but the stuff that we took often addressed the immediate safety issue or right. access to the boiler. And, and I remember telling this to uh, John at the San Francisco group then, and he went, oh, that's a great idea. And I said, that's why we need to talk because you just, it was some, I, I, as I said, it was, it was, I'd never thought of warehouses as using them as space where you can move. But if you're in a very small house and you've got no corridor or anything, it's very difficult to certainly start that, but if you can find somewhere else that you that you can that you know you can lock and it's safe, then um, yeah, yeah, and so. actually sort it. 
Yeah, and then it's a, it's a workplace. It's not right. a story in it. It's a, it's work a place you go to work, and the idea is that a lot of that stuff doesn't go back. Right. But you can lay it out with more room. I like that. Mm -hmm. So these mm -hmm. are just the little things, aren't they? They're just the little things. It's and, be and it's better than a storage unit because you just move your stuff to storage and so there's no room. You can't work that, in it. That's it. But there's more room in a warehouse. And um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And storage, storage spaces are cramped, aren't they? And that they're right. back to the same thing if you go there. I don't really like storage spaces yeah, at I, all. Which is why they do, well, I mean, it's a massive multi-million pound industry that loves you to have stuff and store it in there. Come on, have another unit, you know, and it's like, wow. I've had people who have like eight units. And I so know. they're paying so much in rent on units, they can't live somewhere it's better. Right. Breaking. Yeah, I, I don't like them. But yeah, we use these warehouses for um, temporary workspaces. Temp workspace. That's the way to call it. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. How, how do, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that we have connected because- Yes, and me, and me. There's, I mean, people will ask me for resources all across the country and every once in a while I'll see people asking for things in the UK and what's a resource and just being able to say, hey, I know a person, here's a website, here's their name, you know, I've talked to them, you know, I can tell them your name if you want, you know, like it's, there's a connectiveness there and such a relief, like you said, when you don't have to explain it, you, you can don't have to explain like, it. here, yeah. this is the situation. So I, I love that idea that we're crossing those countries, we're increasing those connections and yeah. that yeah, golden thread is just is passing around the world instead yes. of just being in one place yeah i think pass it around the world and because the only way we're going to learn more stuff is sharing information mm -hmm. sharing learning sharing good stories sharing positives yeah you know and i think that then encourages um but if we'll keep it to ourselves it's going to die with us isn't it so. right it's that legacy piece you know yeah. of what am i going to leave behind yeah. What, when yeah. I'm gone, did I make the world better, you know, somehow? Yeah. So how do people reach you? What's the best way for them to get a, a hold of yeah, you? Yeah, if they just go, if they just go to the website, so there's um there's a contact there's contact at the website, but the the um the email is help at cloudsend.org.uk. And my name's Heather. So but I'm on the end of that email, so all right. Well, so, thank yeah. you so much. And I will make sure that's included in all the, the notes and everything. Yes, and lovely. Thanks, Tammy. And really, really nice to talk to you. Let's do it again. Let's yes. Do it again. Definitely. All right, then. Well, I'll say bye-bye. Take care. Nice talking to you. You as well. If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution.